It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Good morning, uh, Sandy Rios with you on this Monday morning, and I wanted to just start right away by saying thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. All of you that called and made your generous donation and whatever it was, it was generous uh, to, to American Family Radio for to give us the ability to continue to talk to you every morning. Our goal was $3 million, and we made $3.7 million. So I... I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I always say, and I will say again, I've never, I've done fundraising on radio for years. I've never been in a situation like I've been with American Family Radio where people just give generously. They don't have to be manipulated. Uh, They don't have to have devices or great uh, giveaways or, you know, incentives or like, there are a lot of things that go on when you're trying to raise money. Uh, to create momentum, all the different things that that are used, and and then there's nothing wrong with them. It's just to create a mood so that people feel, you know, encouraged and excited to to call and donate. We don't do much of that, and yet you give generously. It just astounds me, and uh, I know it's God at work, and so I want to thank Him, of course, for making it possible for us to do this. This is a privilege uh, and a responsibility. So we thank you for that. Thank you for all to, to all of you. Well, all right. Uh, our news is filled with shootings, isn't it? Shootings in Chicago, shootings in uh, Wisconsin, uh, shootings on the West Coast, shootings in Minnesota, on and on. Oregon. Uh, you you pick your you know you pick your death poison, and that's what we're seeing. We are seeing an increased amount of violent crime around the country. Jonathan Hunt from Fox News has a report just to give you an idea of what it's like on the West Coast. Here it is. Violent crime has come to almost every neighborhood of L.A. over the past 12 months or so, John, and that is prompting desperate pleas for help from people who are unused to living amid violence and fear. Friends, for instance, of a 30-year-old man who was stabbed to death in his own backyard of his $2.5 million home, not far from where we're standing right now, that stabbing by a homeless man. Friends of Lady Gaga, too, whose dog walker was shot and gravely wounded recently while walking the superstar's puppies. We spoke to the L.A. County Sheriff who told us he believes criminals are being emboldened by the progressive policies of newly elected L.A. District Attorney George Gascon. And the sheriff says people need to realize elections have consequences. They need to really pick and choose very carefully because for them it's very, very easy to say, oh yeah, all cops are bad and let's reform and defund the police. Yet they're the very first ones to pick up the 911 when someone's crawling over their back gate trying to get in their house. All right, so that's just the first part of the broadcast, but that's Los Angeles. And, you know, you heard the celebrities mentioned. So it's time, I think, for celebrities and other people of means to wake up because this is a national problem. It's coming to each of us. And as the border is overrun by uh, criminals, not just criminals, but some criminals, cartels, uh, drugs, 
it's going to get worse. And at the same time, uh, the Biden administration would like to disarm American citizens. Well, let me just give you an idea of the murder rates going up. In Los Angeles, murders are up by 200%. Uh, in Portland, it went up. Uh, there were 25 murders in Portland during the first three months of 2021 compared to just three during the same period in 2020. Other cities like New York City, Chicago, St. Louis, Baltimore, uh, soaring murder rates. Last year, the United States tallied more than 20,000 murders, the highest total since 1995, and 4,000 more than 2019. Preliminary FBI data for 2020 points to 25% surge in murders. So, uh, we, Houston, we have a problem. We have a very serious problem, and at the same time, again, we know that the left wants to disarm American citizens. Somebody sent me this meme, which I thought was excellent fun, actually if you can laugh at such a thing. Want to stop drunk drivers from killing sober drivers? Ban sober drivers from driving. That's how gun control works. Yeah, that's how it works. You uh, take guns away from law-abiding citizens and just let the criminals get them because they still will get them, and then we'll have no more gun violence, right? That's exactly the point of that. It's a great meme. Um, by the way, Maxine Waters is out doing her part to, you know, uh, I believe there's a little bit of trouble in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. Uh, there have been so many riots, burnings, lootings. But Maxine Waters, the congresswoman from California, is out there doing her part to settle things down. Let's listen. Not just manslaughter, right? I mean... Oh, no, not manslaughter. No, no, no. This is, this is guilty for murder. I don't know whether it's in the first degree, but as far as I'm concerned, it's first degree. Mr. Congresswoman, what happens if we do not get, get what you just told? What should the people do? What should protesters on the street do? I didn't hear you. What happens... What should protesters do? Well, we, we got to stay on the street. Uh, and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they, they know that we need business. Yeah, so we need more burning. We need more looting. We need more violence on the streets. Uh, if uh, the, the correct verdict, the one that I want, which is what she says, Derek Chauvin has to be uh, convicted of, of uh, death, of murder, or, you know, there needs to be more burning, more looting. That's Maxine Waters. Lots of people are responding to this as well. They should. What is she doing out there? What is she doing out there stirring things up and making it worse? I think she's probably, uh, if you heard um, uh, my, my interview just last week on Marxism in Congress, uh, you know that there are a lot of Marxists there, and Maxine's one of them. Uh, this is what she said. We have to give support to our young people who are struggling and trying to make this justice system work for everybody. They see their peers being killed. Minneapolis is a great example of what's wrong with the criminal justice system, what's wrong with policing. I wanted to be there as an anti-Maxine to show them. Not only do I love them and support them, but they can count on me to be with them at this terrible time in all of our lives. Why is it terrible, Maxine? Why is it terrible? Because people like you are, are trying to push color on everyone, make it all about race, uh, because you have an intent to divide people. You don't care about justice. As a matter of fact, I don't know about Derek Chauvin. We talked about this. It seems like only yesterday uh, when he was, um, you know, had George Floyd and, uh, down and was had his knee on him, and it was pretty hard. I remember being on this mic, watching that video for the first time. It was horrendous to watch. Derek Chauvin's been arrested. He's being tried for murder. I don't know what more, what, what should we do? Should we just has, bypass the trial and just go hang him? Or maybe just draw and quarter him? I'm not sure what would satisfy a Maxine Waters. 
Uh, only and what if he isn't? What if there's something that we don't know? And evidently, there are a lot of things about uh, George Floyd that we didn't know about his drug usage and about the arrest and all of that. Uh, that's what juries are for. That's what a court of law is for. And meanwhile, people are so uh, tanked up about this, and they there will be hell to pay if people uh, try to defend Derek Chauvin, like the guy, former police officer, um, Barry Broad, a use of force expert. He testified that Chauvin did not act unreasonably when he applied his knee to the handcuffed Floyd. Well, what did protesters do? They went to a house they thought was owned by uh, Barry Broad, and they smeared pig blood all over his home. Uh, You could see the pictures. It's all over the, just blood everywhere. Uh, And, you know, what does that mean? I wonder, I wonder what that means. You suppose that's a death threat of some sort, if you dare to testify about what you know as an expert about how police uh, respond in situations like that. Yeah, I think it might be, but Maxine's there to do her part uh, to make sure justice is done, justice in her eyes, which means that I guess all white people should be, you know, in jail and all black criminals should be released because it's all about color, of course. All black people are virtuous and all white people are wicked racists. That's what, um, that's what, uh, that's what we are being taught in public school and corporations. That's what Black Lives Matter is all about. But I want to give you some... Uh, some kind of encouragement, if I could. Brianna Taylor was the girl in, um, uh, was it in uh, Tennessee, I think, Louisville, Kentucky, who was killed by the police. There's a lot to that story. Brianna, uh, turns out Brianna was a part of this drug operation of her boyfriend and, it, and wasn't maybe as innocent as we thought initially. Uh, but besides that, you know, it's still tragic. Um, and so her mother is speaking up, but she's speaking up in a way you might not imagine. Uh, she is talking about how Black Lives Matter is a complete fraud and how they have exploited her daughter's death. Uh, She says, um, I have never personally dealt with Black Lives Matter Louisville and personally have found them to be a fraud. Then there's the people at Justice Square, Breway, who has been a hundred and held it down. But that doesn't go to say everyone down there, but they know who they are and also never needed recognition. I could walk into a room of people who claim to be there for Brianna's family who don't even know who I am. I've all I've watched y'all raise money on behalf of Brianna's family who has never done a blank thing for us, nor do we need it, nor have we needed it or asked for it. So um, there is some pushback, some honest people like Brianna Taylor's mother saying this is this is just not right. This has become a cottage industry, you know, trading off of murder and um, dividing people. And by the way, in Antifa, this is an article, well, it's not by Andy No, but it is a report about Andy No. Members of the infamous Antifa sale, cell in Portland are anxious after an informant in their midst gave information to police leading to arson charges. So, um, yeah, they're really panicked about this. One of the girls in there, I think she's 19, was accused of um, uh, helping to light one of the police facilities in Portland. And so the fire caught, it caused an estimated $25,000 plus damage. Uh, They found her, wherever her abode was, and they found all kinds of evidence. And so uh, the tweets by the Antifa folk went something like this. Somebody sold us out. Somebody sold every single one of us out. There's somebody out there that would rather send a 19-year-old indigenous person to prison than protect a single one of us. Blank you. Absolutely blank you. I hope we find out who the blank you are. All right, so Andy says they are really panicking because they think they may have a, an insider uh, in Antifa. And um, listen, that's good. That's what we pray for, you know, is that reason someone will finally come to grips with what is happening 
Uh, I, I pray more specifically, really, for revival. Would that not be something? If someone inside Antifa saw the dark soul of all of it and out of that found Jesus, wouldn't that be something? And the same thing with Black Lives Matter. I just think I do pray for that. I don't think it's impossible at all. I think it's very likely. Wesley Smith is a good friend of mine. I haven't had him on this program since I've been with AFA, but Wesley was a a very well-known, still is, writer for all of these major publications. And he, uh, he started covering the environmental movement, and he covered it. uh, You know, he was the go-to person on the environmental movement. This is back in the 90s. Uh, and as a result of that, I don't know if he's ever even written about this, but he told me this. Um, as a result of that, he was not a believer. Uh, he didn't. He just was following this news story and following the inside of the environmental movement. And as he got to see the blackness of it and the horrific, he saw paganism. He saw uh, just all kinds of wicked stuff. Even as a non-believer, it seemed wicked to him. And through that, Wesley Smith became a Christian. Uh, because he, it was frightening to him what he saw as he pulled back the curtain of the underbelly of the environmental movement. And so um, I, uh, I just wanted to share that with you. That Listen, this is possible. I know it is. With God, all things are possible. I also just want to point out in the minute that I have left uh, that the police everywhere are under assault. Oh, my goodness. I've seen so many videos. I saw one of a, in Ohio of a, a white uh, kid, not kid, young man, muscular, well-dressed. Uh, the police had stopped him. He had a gun, and they get into this altercation, and it's, if you could imagine, the young man sounds like an Antifa guy to me. He's arguing with the police. He's using all of this verbiage, and uh, they, it's it's very tense, and they end up, uh, even though they try to get him, he gets out of the car, then he gets back in the car. He has his hand on his gun. Uh, according to police regulations, he should have been shot. He was not shot. In fact, he just drives off and they let him go. I think they arrested him later. But you can see that police are afraid to do their job because if they do their job, if they're nervous or they pull the wrong trigger or use their taser instead of their gun, their lives are ruined. If they do anything to stop crime, they are in great danger themselves. This has to stop because this has nothing to do with race. It has to do with the lines of behavior, the the. the Hedges that make a society free uh, are, ter- are coming down because of the, the emphasis on race and policing. We're going to come back and talk about the environment when we return. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Can I tell you about a hero of the faith? Hi, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International, and Shadrach is an elder in a shanty church deep in the heart of Zambia, Africa, the country where the famous missionary David Livingstone carried out years of ministry. The church received word that an attack was coming from Islamic extremists, and sure enough, it came, and the man Shadrach had a handgun to help protect the congregation. In self-defense, he shot a man, Ishmael, but did not kill him, but instead nursed him back to health, took care of his livestock over many months, and and taught his daughter to read and write. And the result is that the family has come to Christ along with 80 former Islamist extremists, but they live where Bibles are almost non-existent. Listen, the gospel's going forth today, and we get to be a part of their story at only $5 a Bible. Will you pray about it and then make your most generous gift by calling 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or visit sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. 
Today, we pray for Janet Woodcock, Acting Commissioner of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Her agency protects and promotes public health in areas including food safety, medication, and medical devices. Psalm 4.8 reminds us of the safety and protection given to us by the Lord. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Janet Woodcock as she works for the protection of Americans. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is the service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Get your 2021 prayer journal to help guide you through the year in prayer. Available now at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. No matter your career goals, you want to find a university that provides excellent academics and state-of-the-art facilities at a price you can afford. At Liberty University, they believe a quality Christian education should be available to everyone. That's why they've frozen their tuition rates through the 2021-2022 academic year and offer multiple scholarships, like the Middle America Scholarship, to bring that price point even lower. Learn more by texting STARNS to the number 49596. Jesse Hamilton prepared meals for the men of Phi Gamma Delta for about 14 years. Her presence at Louisiana State University was life-changing for many of the fraternity brothers. She eventually went on to other jobs in life, cleaning and cooking, still hard at work even at the age of 74. Andrew Fusiati was one of the young men who ate her cooking back in the day. And when he found out Mrs. Hamilton was still on the job, he just knew an intervention was in order. So he contacted a few of his fraternity brothers, and they decided to pay off Mrs. Hamilton's mortgage. And on her 74th birthday, they surprised her with a catered meal and a great big check, totaling more than $50,000. All those attending were given t-shirts proclaiming Jesse Hamilton Day and hankies as well to wipe away the tears. It was an emotional scene, those grown men taking care of a sweet lady who made sure they had a home-cooked meal. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at sandy at AFR.net. That's sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Well, it's the U.S.'s duty certainly to return to the Paris Agreement as President Biden has done and to work with other nations to do the maximum amount possible. I can assure you that the United States will do its part to help keep uh, us on track to have a 1.5 degree rise, the limit. That's That's our goal. And then to head to 2050 where we would be net zero. And we hope that other nations will join us Uh, to raise the ambition to be able to hold that 1.5 degree uh, limit on the increase of Earth's temperature. Uh, Obviously, to do that, we're all going to have to do our part. I mean, yes, we are number two in the world in emissions. And and, uh, we helped to put the Paris Agreement together, and now we're going to do everything in our power to help get Glasgow to do what it needs to do to put the world on a track in these next 10 years to accomplish our goal. 20 nations, all of whom are invited to President Biden's summit, uh, are responsible for about 81% of all the emissions. So to solve this problem, those 20 countries have to lead the way. We recognize that responsibility. We are very sorry for uh, the last four years with the president who 
didn't care about science and who didn't uh, have a real rationale for pulling out, but he was the only president in the world, the only leader in the world who pulled out of this agreement. President Biden said the first thing you do as president is return. We've done that. And now with this summit, we're going to try and bring nations to the table to do what we need to do to get the job done for future generations. Well, that was the U.S. special envoy for uh, climate for Joe Biden, the uh, esteemed uh, John Kerry, uh, who has been um, a foolish, dangerous man since I've he's uh, come to the scene, as far as I'm concerned. He's done so many horrible things, and now we have him unleashed to do his ridiculous work uh, under the Biden administration. I want to give you an example of how serious this is. We've not talked about this in a long time, and we have a lot to cover today, but I want to show you uh, what's about to happen in graphic kind of detail. Uh, Time Magazine is doing their part. They uh, have a headline says, that says, Pandemic remade every corner of society. Now it's climate's turn. COVID can lead us to a better, greener world. So uh, this is kind of a text part of what they write. Now spurred by alarming science, growing public fury, and a deadly pandemic, government officials, corporate bosses, and civil society leaders are finally waking up to a simple idea whose time has come. Climate is everything. All right, with that, uh, my good friend Myron Ebel joins us this morning. Myron is the director of the Center for Energy and Environment for the Competitive Enterprise Institute in D.C. Myron, this is your world, right? <laughs> yes, Sandy, I'm afraid. I'm sorry to say that it is, yes. Seriously, I want to ask you a question. How have you kept your sanity? I, I'm Sanity. I just talked about Wes Smith before you joined me because I've known Wes for years. And I remember him telling me what a mind game it did on him to work in in and through the environmental movement to cover it. How have you kept yourself sane? Well, I don't know, but I am sane. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no, it's uh, you know it, the, there are some real environmental issues, and taking on the environmental movement on environmental issues is a serious job, and it, and, and it's there are serious policy questions involved. And scientific questions. The global warming debate is mostly, uh, you know, smoke and mirrors. And so, of course, John Kerry and Joe Biden are perfect uh, leaders for for the uh, this issue. But you know, the thing of it is, Myron, while we used to laugh at some of the things they would say, I meaning not not the well, yes, John Kerry, we laughed at some of the things he said. Now they are in charge. Now they are going to accomplish all of these ridiculous things at tremendous cost, and that's really. The point we need to make. This is a special week for environmentalists. Can you explain why? Sure, but I should say it's not really John Kerry or Joe Biden who's in charge. It's Gina McCarthy, and that should be much more, uh, much scarier to to you and your listeners than having uh, essentially non-entities like Joe Biden and, and and John Kerry in charge. Gina McCarthy is a a very capable person, and she's very determined, and she's been put in charge of the National Climate Task Force, so she. All kinds of government officials. She's not confirmed. She's just appointed. But all kinds of government government officials, uh, according to President Biden's executive order, are now reporting to her. So uh, that's that's what people should be worried about. Now about this week. Yes, this is uh, Earth Day on Thursday. The uh, President Biden's uh, Global Climate Summit, which is online, will be Thursday and Friday. And the United States is expected to make its second-round commitment for the Paris Climate Treaty uh, 
ahead of that meeting, on uh, which begins on Thursday. So uh, uh, President Biden is expected to make a commitment to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions further. He has no legal authority to do that. He has no support to do that, but he's going to announce it anyway. I, just a couple of asides. You told you alerted me to the fact, Myron, that this Thursday is also Vladimir Lenin's birthday. Any significance to that? Well, there's always been a question about when Senator Gaylord Nelson and his merry band of environmentalists, young environmentalists, uh, decided to have an Earth Day back in 1969, and then it happened in 1970. There was always some question about why they picked uh, April 22nd. Uh, it may have been because it was a Saturday, but it may have been because somebody said, hey, it's Lenin's birthday. Let's do it that day. That will be very appropriate. Um, because, of course, the the uh, modern environmental movement in the in the late 60s and early 70s developed out of the new left. And, of course, the new left is, is the Mar- was a Marxist movement. So uh, it, it, it could be. I, I can't prove it, but it yeah. It could yeah. have been It could be. It could be. Well, I would say since so much of Marxism has raised its uh, ugly head this last since in the Obiden, the Obiden <laughs> and the Biden administration, I think it's a likely suspicion. But um, let's, Myron, let's talk just for a second. Uh, John Kerry just came back from China and he had this meeting mm-hmm. with the Chinese over climate change. Uh, just say a word about that, because some people are pretty cynical about the uh, joint statement they made. What What are your thoughts about it? Yeah. Well, Sandy, the the um, look, uh, all the countries in the world, with a couple of exceptions, signed the Paris Climate Treaty, and they undertook actions to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. China's emissions are now larger than the United States and the European Union combined. They've built a huge number of new coal-fired power plants while we've been closing coal-fired power plants. And coal is the most carbon-intensive fuel, more so than uh, petroleum or or natural gas. And China's commitment under the Paris Climate Treaty in 2015 was that their emissions would keep going up at least until 2030. So they promised that that they would just conduct business as usual. That, that was their commitment. Our commitment was to was to cause economic pain and to lower our emissions by closing coal-fired power plants. So uh, that's, that's the world we live in. So you heard John Kerry say that President Trump was the only leader in the world who didn't sign on to Paris. Well, yeah, the Chinese signed on, but they, they said, we'll, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. Yeah, so this joint agreement that John Kerry's heralding uh, in a statement, anyway, it's got a lot of points to it. He's bragging about this uh, this uh, agreement they came to is really kind of a joke because, as you just said, the Chinese are doing anything, and yet they're pretending. Uh, some are saying they're probably laughing at John Kerry as usual uh, because it's like it's a fantasy. And I also say, Myron, um, when they talk about this goal of reducing, what, temperatures at one and a half degrees, I just have to laugh. I, mean, I know this is not your bailiwick, but it is mine. It's like, does John, did John Kerry call God and tell him uh, that the temperature <laughs> of the earth should go down? Because he should. He might want to consult him on this. But to, just to think they can actually do that as a serious goal is amazing to me. But this, the, as silly as it all sounds, it's it's a reality that they're going to force this on the world, and we need to talk about what it means. Give us some ideas, like what we are to expect here in the United States as a result of this goal of reducing climate or temperature by one point five degrees. 
Yes. Well, uh, it's expected that the new commitment that uh, President Biden will make this week in advance of the of his global climate powwow on Thursday is that the United States will reduce its greenhouse gas emissions, that those emissions come from burning coal, oil, and natural gas, which provide 80% of our energy, that we will reduce those emissions by 50% below 2005 levels by 2030, so in nine years. Now, our emissions are below 2005 levels already, so 50% would be more like a 35 to 45 35 to 40 percent cut. Uh, now, what does that mean? Well, he's introduced. The president has introduced a uh, what, what he calls an infrastructure package. In fact, it's just a, a wild spending, throwing money at everything package. But uh, one of the things in that package is what's called a clean electricity standard, and that standard says that by 2030, we have to get rid of all of our coal and natural gas-fired power plants, which together provide about 80% of our electricity. So um, it would, you know, it's it's totally preposterous. It's completely undoable, but we could waste trillions of dollars trying to do it. Uh, it will raise people's electric costs. It will make power less reliable. There will be more blackouts and brownouts. Uh, and uh, and it will and it will be incredibly expensive without achieving the goal. So that's that's the kind of stuff that they're playing with now. Well, also, Myra, just you think about uh, national defense. I'll just say that national defense. I mean, we uh, we fuel our planes and our uh, our tanks, and I don't know about ships. I just hadn't thought through that. But I, I, they, there has to be some power source. So we are going to go down to what windmills? Are we going to have windmills on ships? I mean, what are we? How we are we are rendering ourselves defenseless while the Chinese are building these coal fire plants and building their military might incredibly. That's just one area. Uh, plus, we saw what happened in Texas. What three, two months ago, something like that, where yeah. they had this huge energy failure and people froze to death in their homes. Is this our future? Uh, well, I think uh, as long as these uh, uh, people are in charge and they keep getting things, uh, uh, you know, there's there's two there's two routes here. Uh, uh, one is that Congress actually has to pass things, and, and, and uh, so things won't happen unless Congress, you know, appropriates money and passes the law. Uh, that gives us a chance to fight these things. But as long as we have people in the White House like President Biden and Gina McCarthy who think that they can just do things by order, just, you know, presidential command, uh, then we're going to uh, continue to, to, to see these policies implemented. And, and unfortunately, we have a lot of states that are uh, on board with this or even ahead of the federal government, like California and New York and Massachusetts. And we also have a bunch of companies, big companies now that are on board with it because they've decided, uh, well, a couple of things. One, it's not worth fighting, and two, they can make money off of higher energy costs, not not suffer from higher energy costs. So, if you can make money off of charging people more for their electricity and their uh, their the fuel for their transportation, then why not do it? So, uh, so we have a, a broad coalition now of states and big companies that are that are in favor of these policies. But the average person is really going to suffer. There's no question about it. I think, you know, Myron, of gas prices, the way they're going up, a lot of people live in places 
where they have to drive long distances to work. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're not wealthy people. This is going to, this is already happening. It's going to increase the price of gasoline, all goods and services. Everything's going to go up. The rich are going to get, you know, going to be fine. But regular folk are the ones that are going to suffer from this. And uh, talk uh, talk a little bit about the a whole notion about electric cars that's in this infrastructure bill. That's another interesting part of this. Yes, well, of course, some companies <clears throat> like Government Motors, General Motors, have already announced that they're going to uh, stop making internal combustion and diesel engines and everything will be electric by 2035. Now, uh, first of all, they're doing this under pressure from, from the government and, and, and the environmental movement. They're not doing it because pressure from consumers, uh, demand from consumers. Uh, there are There is a demand for electric vehicles. Of course, most people who buy electric vehicles get a $7,500 federal tax credit for doing so. So uh, there, uh, the idea that we're going to transform the entire transportation sector into uh, electric vehicles is, I think... Uh, it, it, it hasn't looked at whether consume, how resistant consumers are. Now, I think electric vehicles for a lot of people in a lot of places will eventually make sense. But I think people in rural America, people who have to drive long distances, people in cold climates, batteries lose their charge much quicker in, in cold weather. Uh, I, you know, I think there are a lot of places, uh, people who live in big apartment blocks and can't charge, don't have a garage to charge their vehicle. I mean, I think there are all kinds of, uh, reasons why uh, there's going to be a lot of consumer resistance to electric vehicles, and and so we're going to see government, uh, you know, uh, compulsion. They're going to say, "Sorry, they're just you're going to have to have electric or, or nothing." And in fact, that raises another point, which is the Biden plan, the Biden infrastructure plan, assumes that there are going to be a lot fewer people driving cars. Uh, people are going to have to figure out other ways to get around. Yes, but, you know, here's the thing, Myron, uh, just as in everything else that we are experiencing right now, uh, you talk about consumer resistance, and we talk about, you know, the people in the White House now are doing this, and there'll be some resistance, but we're getting, we're moving to this top-down government, this draconian one-party rule uh, that is going to dictate to us. I'm not terribly optimistic, unless you are. If you know something I know, <laughs> that we can stop this Clean Future Act of Joe Biden's uh, are we, are yeah, there some well, Democrats that are a little, uh, kind of uh, balking at this? Well, I, you know, I, I think you've raised the key point, Sandy. The, the point is that uh, the president is now declaring these things without having a national debate on them and convincing people and, and, and the people making a decision that, yes, this is the way we want to go forward. It's, as you say, it's just command and control. Uh, and so I think that that's, uh, that's a very worrying aspect of this whole uh, uh, energy and climate debate, and I, I hope that at some point, uh, you know, we will have elections in the near future that that turn this uh, this current uh, regime around. Uh, as as it, let's hope that it becomes more unpopular, and um, and we will uh, go back to say saying, hey, before we do all these things, let's actually have a debate and see if people believe it and are convinced and want to do it or don't. Uh, because I think you know most of these things, there's there there is not a lot of public support for building bullet trains and closing airports, for example. Yeah, but that's what they're doing. Yeah. So and and it's just it's you know I'm really stunned, Myron, that the um, the airline industry is not balking. I mean, 
what kind of future does American Airlines have or, you know, Delta or United if they can't, you know, fuel their planes? What are they thinking? Well, I think, uh, first of all, they're, they're, you know, they're a highly regulated industry that's dependent upon government, uh, you know, support. To, I, I don't mean financial support primarily, but, you know, government has to allow uh, airplanes and airports to function. And what's happened is that the, the, the plague shutdown that we've had the past year has has uh, bankrupted the airlines, and they've been able to stay in business by getting government handouts. And they hope to, you know, weather the storm and get people back in, in the air. And But in the meantime, they have to do exactly whatever the government tells them to do because they're totally dependent upon the government for keeping them going. So, I, I, you know, it's like GM when General Motors went bankrupt. Ever since then, they've been government motors. They just do, you know, because the federal government bailed them out. Uh, ever since then, they just do whatever the federal government tells them to do. Uh, I think it's the same with the airlines right now. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's, it's a, one of the really uh, bad effects of the uh, shutdown that it's made a lot of big businesses more uh, uh, reliant on government than they were before. Myron, before I let you go, just a couple of minutes here about uh, the governor of Alaska, Dunleavy, has mm-hmm. uh, told the feds uh, that they need to leave Alaska alone uh, in managing their 800,000 miles of river. You've talked a lot. This is part of your bailiwick, too, is how the West is uh, being controlled by Washington bureaucrats. What do you think about what he did and how effective it's going to be? Well, I don't know whether he'll he'll uh, make it stand up in, in, in legal proceedings, but the the problem that the governor uh, faces is that uh, Alaska is essentially a federal colony, and uh, and it only uh, it, it only exists economically because of the oil on the north slope of Alaska, and uh, so the governor is trying to find ways to assert. Alaskan sovereignty so that he can get other businesses uh, and other development in Alaska, particularly hard rock mine, mine metal mining, you know, gold, copper, uh, silver, uh, some of the rare earths, all, all these kinds of things. Uh, so he's, he's trying to figure out ways to, to assert Alaskan control over their own resources, uh, despite the fact that the federal government owns most of the land. And he's not un- that's not unlike a lot of the Western states, as we've talked before. The federal government has done a lot of land grabs, and I guess they want to do more. And it's probably only going to get worse with Joe Biden. Um, so back to that question I ask you, are there Democrats in the Senate who are resisting these moves uh, toward the, the, you know, the Clean Future Act and all of the electric cars and you know, all of the, the things that are happening? Any, any Democrats that are still are balking at this? Um. Yes, but I think the problem with most uh, members of Congress uh, is that they're transactional. That is to say, okay, I can sign on to a lot of bad stuff if there's something in it for me. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, Enough. Uh, we get it. Uh, we're out of time, uh, yeah. but now yeah. we got it. <laughs> yes, and that is the problem. That's the breakdown. We are in serious trouble. Uh, Myron's got a great sense of humor. I love his sense of humor, but he recognizes as I do too, how dangerous this is and how bleak for all of us uh, if these policies are allowed to reign in our lives. And so just one more area to be concerned about, Myron E. Bell Competitive Enterprise Institute. You can find all kinds of great writings at their website. Uh, Myron, thanks. Sandy Rios in the morning, AFR Talk. 
Washington Watch advances a culture where human life is valued and religious liberty thrives. Hello, this is Tony Perkins, host of Washington Watch, right here on the American Family Radio Network, inviting you to join us each weekend for the weekend edition of Washington Watch for the latest from our nation's capital on what is happening as it pertains to faith, family, and freedom. You'll hear from policymakers, congressional leaders, and others each day, 4 p.m. Central Time. Be there. Have your dreams been shattered? Here's Pastor Jeff Shreve with From His Heart Ministries. Somebody told me early in my ministry, he said, you know, if you preach to broken hearts, you'll always have an audience. And I don't know what your need is today, but God does his best work in the midst of broken, shattered dreams. Find real hope in Christ. Join Pastor Jeff Shreve on From His Heart, weeknights at 6 Central, here on American Family Radio. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. What are gates? They are defensive tools used to keep stuff out, to keep an advancing force at bay. Too often, the enemy is successful in putting Christians on defense. When the facts are, the Lord established his church as an aggressive, offensive, territory-taking body. The Lord never meant for us to sit on the sidelines of life or to cower in the corner as a result of the wickedness in our culture. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. The light of the world cannot be contained. The Lord is building his church, and the manby-pamby gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Ryan Fisher here with today's Life and Liberty Minute. Grace Life Church in Edmonton has been closed and its pastor arrested because the church obeyed God rather than man by continuing to meet for worship despite orders by health authorities to stop obeying God and start obeying man. The bureaucrats in Edmonton put a Nancy Pelosi-style fence around the entire perimeter of the church and riot police occupied the building to prevent worshipers from obeying God rather than man. You can be forgiven for thinking this sounds more like communist China than the Christian West. Well, some Edmonton citizens, apparently not members of the church, weren't having it and dismantled the fence on Sunday morning. It was their version of dumping tea in Boston Harbor. Canada does not have a First Amendment, but Canadians recognize tyranny when they see it. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Affney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin's trial may well end this week without his conviction on charges of murdering George Floyd. If so, Marxist groups like Antifa and Black Lives Matter appear prepared to seize upon such an outcome to engage in violence there and in cities across the country. On Saturday, Congresswoman Maxine Waters seemingly incited such groups who have lately resumed rioting in Minneapolis's Brooklyn Center area, proclaiming, quote, we've got to stay on the street and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they know we mean business, unquote. Representative Waters must be held accountable for her actions. And law enforcement agencies like the FBI must focus on actual domestic terrorists, namely Marxist revolutionaries now poised to get more confrontational and stop persecuting Americans simply for supporting Donald Trump. This is Frank Gaffney. 
Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Sandy Rios back with you. Hey, listen, Wednesday, I'm going to do a, um, pretty much an pr- entire show on an update on what's happened from the January 6th, after January 6th, the, uh, the incident in the Capitol. And uh, so I just wanted to tell you that. But today, let me give you just a few updates. We know that the police officer in the Capitol that shot Ashley Babbitt, uh, we don't know who he is, and uh, he is not charged with anything, which is an incredible injustice. Betsy Smith, who's the sergeant spokesperson for the National Police Association, says that America, the American public deserves to know more about the fatal shooting of U.S. Air Force veteran Ashley Babbitt during the January 6th Capitol breach. Smith believes that the continued politicization of police has to be addressed, adding that while Babbitt did wrong in being part of a group that entered the Capitol, the message the Department of Justice is sending by choosing not to prosecute the officer who killed her infers a double standard. I feel like what it says to our citizens is that, well, if you are protecting our wealthy politicians at the United States Capitol, you have different rules of engagement than you do if you're trying to protect a small town or an urban area, and I find that very dangerous. Uh, Had Ashley Bablett been a liberal activist protecting abortion or protesting abortion or perhaps protesting Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation at the Supreme Court, we might be dealing with a very different issue. And that is not how the American justice system operates. We also deserve to know that officer's name. There was really no reason to know the name of the officer that shot Dante Wright, but yet it was released. And now she, the officer, has had to flee her home. She's also been charged with murder. So uh, that's it's just it's, it is a travesty of justice, and of course that happened on January sixth. The only fatality that is directly a result of what happened on January sixth, in spite of the propaganda of the media. And uh, one other thing I want to tell you, John Schaefer, who is from Indiana, he's a founding member of the Oath Keepers, has pled guilty to unlawfully entering the U.S. Capitol to obstruct Congress certification of the U.S. presidential election results. Uh, and, of course, Oath Keepers uh, defines themselves as nonpartisan association of current and formerly serving military, police, and first responders who pledge to fulfill the oath uh, all military and police take to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I, You know, I think I would be part of Oath Keepers. Well, I don't see anything wrong with that. They'd like to make it a white uh, supremacist group, but I don't see any sign of that whatsoever. Uh, but, of course, they a lot of them were there on January 6th, and now John Schaefer has pled guilty. Uh, Let me just read the statement from the DOJ. Oath Keepers member John Schaefer has pleaded guilty to multiple felonies, including for breaching the Capitol while wearing a tactical vest and armed with bear spray with the intent to interfere with Congress certification of the Electoral College results. That was a statement by Acting Deputy Attorney General John Carlin. The FBI has made an average of more than four arrests a day, seven days a week since January 6th. I commend the hundreds of special agents, prosecutors, and support staff that have worked tirelessly for the last hundred days to bring those who committed criminal acts to justice. Okay, I just have to say this. Where have they been in Portland? Where have they been in Minneapolis? Where have they been? Where have they been with all these shootings, with what's happening to police, or the lawlessness on the streets? No, they're after, you know, the Oath Keepers, those former military and uh, police uh, persons and first responders who have served our country faithfully and sworn an oath to uphold the Constitution. Oh, those are the dangerous ones. So we have to go after them. They've worked tirelessly to do that. You just heard them say four arrests today, seven days a week. Uh, Schaefer acknowledged that um, this is John Schaefer who has uh, pled guilty. He's a lifetime founding member of the Oath Keepers. 
Um, he further recognized, uh, also, he further recognized, listen to this, this is the damning thing against John Schaefer. He further recognized that he went to Washington on January 6th to participate in the Stop the Steal rally in order to demonstrate his belief that the election results were fraudulent, that he forced his way into the Capitol building, which then forced Capitol Police to retreat. Um, and if he's convicted, John Schaefer faces up to 30 years in prison. All right, well, we're going to have a discussion about that on Wednesday, and so I hope that you will be sure and, and uh, tune in for that. I want to turn our attention to, oh, let's see, what's our other favorite topic? It would be, uh, what, anybody guess? Yes, COVID. A fully vaccinated person has died of COVID-19 in Texas. Um, I, I don't quite catch, the, I, I, I could go into the details of this, but the point is that a fully vaccinated person has died of COVID. And so that takes us to this uh, statement by Dr. Anthony Fauci, um, uh, it was an interview he did with Dana Bash, and I want you to hear what he had to say, the inimitable uh, Dr. Fauci, clip five. I do want to ask about the coronavirus restrictions still in effect, even for fully vaccinated Americans. Some vaccinated Americans may want to travel, eat indoors at restaurants, feel like they don't need to wear masks outdoors around others. You've been touting how effective the vaccine is. So what is the scientific reason that it isn't safe for vaccinated Americans yeah. to do those things. The first thing you got to realize that when you get vaccinated, your risk of getting infected dramatically diminishes and is very low. So then the obvious question is, why are there any restrictions? They're all because in a certain situation, one can get vaccinated, have no clinical disease at all, but get infected and not even know it and have replication of virus in your nasopharynx and inadvertently transmit it to somebody else who might actually be unvaccinated and get ill. That's the reason why you want to wear a mask there. The other reason for wearing a mask is that there are variants that are circulating. And although they're, they're unusual, we are seeing breakthrough infections. But we're also seeing variants that are a bit disturbing. Fortunately for us, the 117, which is the variant that was originating in the UK. Oh, you know what? For just cut vaccine- it. forget it. Hey, you know, uh, we're further, we uh, follow the science, and uh, we have to. Oh, you should have heard the exchange I was going to play for you with Jim Jordan uh, and Dr. Fauci in uh, the House. It was the House Select Committee on the Coronavirus. And uh, Jim was, Congressman Jordan was trying to pin Fauci down. He kept, he kept saying, well, when is the time? When do Americans get their freedom back? And then Fauci goes, well, we have to, well, we have to get the infections down and we have to, you know, we, things have to be better. We have to have more people vaccinated. But when? When? When is low enough? Give me the numbers. What are the metrics? When can we get our freedoms back? And it goes back and forth and back and forth. It's pretty incredible. And uh, Congressman Jordan is holding his feet to the fire. And Fauci's, you know, the victim. He's being so mistreated by Jim Jordan. I've never seen anything like it. A man who uh, does, like this little diminutive guy who sounds so nice, like he's just so concerned about all of you. You know, it's a, we have to follow the science and we're not out of the woods yet, but he's dangerous and he's lying. He's manipulative. He wants you to stay locked down because he has another purpose in mind. And let me tell you why this is killing people. We've said this all along. In San Francisco, drug overdoses claim twice as many lives as COVID-19. More than twice as many people died from accidental drug overdoses in San Francisco in 2020 than from the Chinese Communist Party virus. 
A total of 713 people died from drug overdoses in the city in 2025 compared to 255 who died from the, the uh, coronavirus. All right, so, that, but that's not the only report. Here's one. The CDC has issued this, uh, these kinds of numbers. U.S. drug overdose deaths surged during COVID-19 pandemic, most since the opioid, the most increases since the opioid epidemic began. New report from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention found an alarming jump in the number of drug overdose deaths during COVID-19. Data from the CDC shows that the drug overdose death in the U.S. increased by nearly 29%. More than 87,000 Americans died from drug overdose deaths from September 2019 to September 2020. The one-year period death toll is the highest number of overdose deaths ever recorded in a year since the opioid epidemic began in the 1990s. The largest increases in drug overdose uh, happened in April and May of 2020 when the government-mandated lockdowns were the strictest. The areas with the largest increase were District of Columbia, Louisiana, Kentucky, West Virginia, and Colorado. And I could go on and on. There's, there's more. It's just a suicide rates. They, they track that in here also. These are the causes. This is where my husband and I were talking yesterday about how uh, Dr. Fauci and the people who stand beside him are responsible for so many other deaths, whether it's the nursing home deaths, uh, it's the deaths of people who are desperate, who've lost their jobs, their businesses, Uh, people who've overdosed, people who haven't gone for medical treatments because they were afraid to go to the doctor because they would be afraid they would catch uh, COVID. How can we quantify that? And yet it's very real death. It's time to stop this nonsense. It's time to stop it. And uh, it's going to take people just coming to grips uh, and understanding what the truth is. And that's why we keep talking about it. I'm hoping that the truth will filter down to everyone. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.